Hello and welcome to Insurance Tomorrow, a podcast brought to you by Alliance Insurance with me, Steph McGovern. Now, in this series, we look at what's happening in the world and how it might impact the insurance industry. We cover everything from underinsurance, sustainability, fraud, financial literacy, business resilience, and everything in between. All of the episodes are online, so if you want to listen back to one, you can. Now, today we are talking about autonomous cars. A recent report by McKinsey said that 2023 was a tipping point for the industry. Uh, Some leading players were able to successfully run and scale commercial operations, while others saw significant setbacks, which either reduced or stopped their operations. So there's clearly a mixed picture out there. Uh, in terms of the success of autonomous vehicles so far. So we want to talk about what's going on and what the future will look like. To do that, I have with me Alexandra Wyard, who's Underwriting Director at Allianz Personal, and Tom Leggett, who's Vehicle Technology Manager at Thatcham Research. Uh, Thanks both for joining me. Uh, There was part of me that thought maybe, I don't know, 10 years ago, we'd be in autonomous vehicles by now. We'd all be zipping about in them and we'd have got used to it and kids wouldn't have to do driving tests anymore. But we're definitely not there yet. But Tom, first of all, can you just remind everyone what we mean when we say autonomous? Because there's lots of cars now which have got kind of semi-autonomous features, haven't they? So what are we talking about? Sure. So I think when we talk about from the insurer perspective, at least, you know, when we talk about a self-driving vehicle, we really mean the responsibility of driving is over to the vehicle. That's the kind of technology we've been talking about for quite a few years. And I agree with you, Steph. You know, we seem to be saying it's going to happen in the next two years every year. And we just keep pushing out further and further. The key differentiator really is that the vehicle has taken over that responsibility to actually make sure that you are operating safely on the road. At the moment, it feels like the cars are going to do it in very defined operational zones. So maybe only working on the motorway would be a really good example. But hopefully when you press the automated button in your car, when whenever that may appear, you essentially can now do other things inside your car. So maybe you can uh, watch some content on the infotainment screen. Maybe one day you can go to sleep. Maybe one day you can use your mobile phone. But that's really the whole point of automation is that the driving task is now with the car. So you can do other things. Mm, It's so interesting, isn't it? Alexandra, can you just give us your thoughts then on where we're at with it at the moment? Because it must be something you guys at Allianz are constantly keeping an eye on because it will really change the landscape for car and vehicle insurance. Absolutely. And I think the key here for me is what Tom's spoken about, which is the fact that it feels like this has been a long time coming. And actually, what we're seeing as an industry is that actually technology is developing over a number of years. And we're moving from assisted technologies, which I'm sure lots of listeners will be used to, like an automatic braking system, perhaps parking sensors, and these real assisted features. And then that's moving through to what we call a level two plus autonomy, which are on certain vehicles like the Ford Blue Cruise system, which will take a lot more control of the day-to-day driving features. But I think we have to be absolutely clear, there are no vehicles that are currently able to drive completely autonomously on the UK roads at the moment. So whilst we're keeping a really close eye on it, I think the thing that's most important from an insurance point of view and from a driver point of view is people understand 
the technology they've got fitted to their car, how to use it and how to maybe not get carried away thinking that car can do lots of exciting, whizzy things. And actually that absolves them of responsibility because all vehicles that are driven on the road in the UK at the moment do need those drivers to continue to have their eyes on the road while they're operating them. I know. I feel seen, Alex. It feels like you're talking to me about my parking when I over-rely on the sensors. (laughs) You know, I mean, we've all said, haven't we, that we we were expecting to be further on in terms of where we're at with autonomous vehicles, given we've been talking about them for years. So I just want to briefly take back to this podcast uh, about six years ago now where we did talk about this and we were looking about where we think the future is going to go. And there was a lot of disagreement between our guests about its adoption. So I want you to have a listen to this. This is Glenn Clark from Alliance, Tim Armitage from UK Auto Drive and Matt Hervey at law firm Gowling WLG. I think this is definitely the time where uh, science fiction has become science fact. Everyone is working on it. Everyone is investing vast amounts in it. But no one knows for sure that it's technically possible. I think Google is orders of magnitude away from the levels of error it needs to achieve. It depends on the environment, though. I think the key thing here is that no one entity or government or uh, can, un- can, can answer that question because mm. it's actually a collaboration of all sorts of different inputs, whether it be infrastructural, telecommunications, road infrastructure, motor manufacturers, technology, artificial intelligence, legislative environments, a whole load of stuff has to okay. be developed. And I think that point made at the end there. It is still true today, isn't it? This is about collaboration. There's no one part of this autonomous vehicle uh, industry that can go alone, can it? Um, uh, Tom, what do you think on this? Yeah, it's just really interesting hearing that hearing the comments from five years ago because they feel like conversations I had earlier today. <laughs> talking, talking <laughs> about Where we definitely have moved forward is there are cars on the road that are certified to be autonomous. Now that's only in Germany. Currently, it's only the Mercedes S-Class that's got ALKS approval, that's A-L-K-S. So when you press the ALKS button in your Mercedes around Berlin, you can now interact with the car and you can do your emails and the car takes responsibility for the driving. So that is proper autonomy, that's sort of certified, there's a regulation around it, but that's a super small use case. You know, it can only operate below 37 miles an hour, heavy traffic, fair weather, above four degrees, et cetera, et cetera. And that tech not available in the UK. And we don't believe there's even a roadmap for Mercedes to develop that in the UK either. So it's not, we're not going to see it anytime soon in the UK. But I think um, I think that the previous um, people on your podcast were, were exactly right. There's still more work that needs to be done. The tech does exist, but I think one of the main obstacles at the moment is the sheer cost. You know, it's really mm-hmm. expensive to build and develop and then continue and continue to implement these systems. We've been fortunate in the UK that we can kind of look over, particularly to the States, and see all the interesting things going on there. And I'm sure some of your listeners may be aware of Cruise, you know, um, funded by GM, you know, massive company. They had $8 billion worth of funding. And they're at the brink of collapse at the moment because of one incident um, where someone was unfortunately injured. Um, a pedestrian was was struck, unfortunately. And that has basically brought the company to its knees. Um, and I think it's just a really interesting example for us to sort of learn from that, in fact, you know, even though a company as big as GM with a massive amount of funding can still be brought down to the knees just by public acceptance so Mm. we're edging in that direction but I don't think the scales of balance have really tipped in terms of the actual cost benefit just yet yeah because that's what I wanted to ask you both actually about whether the demand is, is there for this Alex you know do people want 
fully autonomous cars and you know because a lot of people are scared of it too aren't they yeah I think that's only something that each individual and their household can answer I think that there is an interesting point here that I actually um, I was involved in a talk on this topic a couple of months ago and somebody made the very good point that people forgive people for mistakes they don't forgive machines for mistakes so that example that Tom raised around a pedestrian being struck by an autonomous vehicle very sadly people do get injured on our roads every day by human drivers but the acceptance of error rates on these vehicles when they're in autonomous mode will likely be much, much lower than we would expect for humans. And so I think that there is a public perception that the safety standards on these vehicles need to be higher than a human driver before they can become mainstream. And I think from a vehicle manufacturer point of view, they're therefore having to do a lot of development in terms of testing and they're having to do a lot of development in terms of safety. And I think actually that final step in terms of asking for approval on these vehicles to be classified as autonomous might just be a step too far even for some vehicle manufacturers at this stage because that transfer of liability will put so much additional pressure potentially on them financially and in terms of consumers eyes yeah which was like yeah which exactly shown by the example tom just gave gm there i mean is regulation and bottleneck as part of that i know obviously consumers will have a certain level of safety they want but there's a regulation is key to all of this as well isn't it tom yeah so we've recently had the av bill that got announced back in november which was a little bit of a surprise to all of us we thought it was going to be a big transport bill um, but then it was shrunken down quite considerably to just consider automated vehicles which is exciting for me at least it is just primary legislation so that really means it's just a framework to sort of assign powers to dft and it sets out a safety principle and in fact interestingly to alex's point exactly i think you know generally we think that av should be safer than human drivers but currently the safety principle is about as equal as a careful and competent driver so what that actually means is a lot harder to answer and it, i completely agree with you alex i think you know unfortunately we have about 1600 fatalities on our roads every year I think everyone would agree we want that lumber to be as low as possible, eventually zero. But how many of those are okay? That's what you've got to ask. When it's a machine that might make a decision that may injure or kill someone, is that okay? Someone has to figure out what number is better than a careful and competent driver. I'm very glad that I don't have to do that. And the AV bill at the moment basically says that politicians and government will have to figure out what that means and what that looks like. But I think it's going to be really, really difficult to convince members of the public that these systems are safe. And like I say, I'm, I'm glad that I don't have to come up with the number because everyone says, you know, it's got to be zero. But that's frankly impossible. And from an insurance perspective, Alex, this thing of liability is obviously what you guys talk about every day. But how are you going to work all that out? I think that by the time there is a prevalence of these vehicles on the market, there will be a clear legal and regulatory framework for us to follow. But I think what's really important at this stage for us as insurers and, and across the industry is to be absolutely clear about what it is we need to be able to insure these vehicles, because none of us want to be barriers to progress, especially progress that could potentially make our roads safer. 
Um, but what we do need is the ability to, for example, establish liability at point of claim. So we need that independent data source that will tell us what mode was the vehicle driving in at the point of accident and other accident related data. And that is in itself incredibly complex in terms of how do you legislate for that? How do you ensure that vehicle manufacturers, police forces and insurers have everything they need, but also that customers are protected against cyber risk and that their data is protected for them as individuals. So I think the key for us is doing what we need to make sure we're delivering the best possible service for our customers in that really important moment of truth but also that we've prepared in advance so that we're not scrabbling around come the point of accident to, to really deliver what we need to. So, so can I ask you a question then on this? Based on what we've been saying, how does it work at the moment if someone has an accident in a, in a vehicle and they're saying it's because the, I don't know, the sensors on the 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 parking brakes failed this isn't a personal story about me now by the way i should point out but if they're saying it was a technological thing as things stand at the moment is it always human error i know there's there'll, there'll be cases you know I've, I've done when i was doing watchdog there was always like recalls of you know vehicles and things every so often because uh, of various safety issues and i guess that's different but how does it work at the moment on that front Obviously, each insurer, their processes at point of claim will differ. But I think the overarching principle to have in mind is that we retain, as an insurer of a vehicle, unlimited liability for a third-party injury. So regardless if your parking sensors failed or, you know, a dog ran out or any of those reasons why something might have happened we're there for our customers when they need it and we're there for the third party that's been injured and that's a really really important underlying principle in the UK market. In terms of what we would call own damage so the damage to your vehicle in general terms we will we'll get that vehicle into our garages or, or our supplier garages. We can download certain data from the vehicle via the OBD port, which is essentially where you plug the car into a computer and we can understand what was going on at the point of that incident. Vehicle manufacturers will publish if there are recalls related to certain vehicles. So we could take a look at that to understand what may have been the cause of the incident. Generally, our experience will be that, that most drivers will understand you can't wholly rely on parking sensors, for example. I wonder if that will change, though, when it the vehicle is fully autonomous. I wonder if people's understanding of where technology... I mean, it comes back to your point, Tom, about blame and, you know, at what point is it? The, the vehicle's fault and I guess the other thing in all of this that I don't think was talked about on the podcast six years ago was what technology has moved on to the next level of AI and generative AI now so that, that we could be talking about the vehicle taking you to where the vehicle thinks you need to go if you get in the car with a broken leg and it knows that it might take you to hospital whether you want to go to hospital or not you know there's all there's a whole other iterations of all of this aren't there and 
we're just talking about the technology that exists now, but already everyone else is moving on to the generative AI stuff, Tom. There's a really good example I can give you, Steph, where so um, I personally think one of the first kinds of automation that we'll see on normal passenger cars is valet parking. So that's where, you know, you'll get out of your yeah. car. So maybe you drive to the shopping centre, you'll get out and you'll press on your phone. OK, go and park and it will go and park itself. And then you can come back after your shopping and you say, right, I'm ready and the car will come and collect you. There are already, again, over in Germany is a good example. There are some trials I think going to happen in the UK where the car park parks the car. So that moment where you get out, your car communicates to the car park. The car park itself is now full of sensors. So cameras, radars, lidars, ultrasonics, everything. And then the car park has like a central compute unit and it directly controls your car. So through steer by wire and brake by wire, it will then wow. control your car and park it for you. So now the liability has gone to the car park, right? Not, yeah. not the OEM. Not the driver it's now the car park so that tech exists and, it, and it's being used today so i think it's stuttgart airport we've got uh, i think it's with bosch you know so again that's like another layer of complexity around um, what systems are on the vehicle uh, the liability transfer what happens if you kind of accidentally try to reach back into the car as it drives away how does it know all these sorts of questions come up but i think it's it's an interesting time because, like I say, because it's so expensive to develop these technologies, a lot of technology developers are trying to figure out how to monetize it. And I think valet parking is a great one. I mean, we've already talked about parking three or four times on the, on the podcast. No <laughs> one likes parking. And I think I would pay to have my car park itself, particularly if I could, you know, walk away. It would drop me off, say, you know, down the high street, and then it would go and park and find a, a space for me. Yeah. And let's say and my car can now charge itself as well and then it can be carefully managed you know sort of things you can you can imagine how the technology might manifest itself and i think that is a product that people would pay for at the moment i wouldn't pay to have you know uh the out system in mercedes you know that's uh the s class is one hundred and ten thousand pounds i think the optional extra is another ten thousand pounds on top of that mm. and it only works for really small limited circumstances so is there much value add for me i don't think so but if it was parking i i could really consider it <laughs> i'm glad you feel the same as me though on the parking front Tom. so alex in bringing this back then to the insurance industry what is it do you think that brokers need to know at this point and what do they need to know to help their customers so I think the crucial thing here is helping all of our customers, all drivers in the UK, really understand what have they got fitted to their car? What does the technology do? What does it mean? Unfortunately, we operate in a world where there isn't a standardised terminology. You'll hear people talking about autonomous vehicles and assisted vehicles and AI vehicles and autopilot and all sorts of different things and actually some of the best things we can do in the industry is is help support a really clear and consistent approach to terminology that means that drivers really understand what they're covered for and what they're not and I think again for brokers for anybody in the market make sure you know what's in the policy terms what does this mean so that when you get those questions from hopefully quite well-informed drivers. I've picked up my new Ford and I've got the Blue Cruise system fitted. Am I covered? You can have that really clear dialogue about what does it mean? And you can actually help people a little bit understand 
well, you know, that means that you still have to keep your eyes on the road when the system is active. And it sounds funny and I kind of laugh a little bit when I'm saying it. But as you say, we are kind of entering a world where I think there is this consumer perception that you can take your eyes off the road, take your hands off the wheel. And there are very, very few scenarios where either of those are going to be possible in the next year or two. Yeah, interesting. And uh, Tom, is there anything you wanted to add to that in terms of what you think uh, brokers need to know? I would just echo the points. I think you're having clarity over what the systems can do. And this is another aspect that I think, again, this is a whole other podcast in itself, but, you know, over the air updates, you already mentioned AI, Steph. And I think these cars are going to learn and improve and possibly get more features over time. So I think it's so important that we as in the insurance industry understand what a car can do at any one time, because what we don't want to do is it have a suddenly have a over the air update that suddenly means it is self-driving, whatever that really means. So clarity over terms to give the government a bit of credit as well. The AV bill does go along in that right direction. So if you do call your system a self-driving vehicle and it isn't approved by the government, that's actually a criminal offence now. So, well, it will be if the bill passes, you know, and the government are definitely working towards that. But, you know, I'll be completely honest, you know, I get to talk about automated vehicles and self-driving an awful lot. And even in the meetings that I have, people use the terms interchangeably, incorrectly, experts and non-experts alike. So there's a lot of work that still needs to be done to make sure that we're all talking on the same level. Yeah, yeah, that's a really good point. Um, So given we might clip up part of this episode to be used again in five or six years time, what's the what's the your kind of prediction then? And we'll see then whether it's true or what's your takeaway point that you want to end this on? So I think by 2026, we will have some automation in the UK. I think it will be extremely limited, like valet parking, like one car that can do level three. And then I think by the time we get to 2030, we might have a few more vehicles that can do it. But it's going to be decades until you can get in your car and say, take me to work and then you can have a kip in the back. So it looks like my four-year-old daughter will have to take a driving test then. In the future, in I'm, the future. I'm afraid. So. Uh, and Alexandra, what's what's your kind of prediction or take home that you want to end on? So my prediction is that whatever we see in terms of vehicle technology will be an evolution as it has been to date. I think that we will see one or two vehicles at the cutting edge of that. But I think actually the vast majority of people will be in vehicles similar to what they're in today for some time. Um, The reality of life for most families, for most households, is they're driving a six, seven, eight, nine-year-old car with the technology that that was current at the time. So I think the key for me is let's respect and understand this technology, but also make sure that we continue to provide a really, really good service for the customers that we have that are in a more traditional vehicle because that car park isn't going anywhere anytime soon. So we need to be ready for both. Yeah, really wise words there. Love it. Thank you so much. Well, that brings us to the end of this episode. Thanks to Alexandra Wyard from Alliance and Tom Leggett from Thatch and Research. If you want to listen to any of our other episodes, they are all available online. And do please leave us a review as well or drop us any thoughts or comments you might have on there too. That's it from me, Steph McGovern and Alliance Insurance. Goodbye.